as an industry made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm chatting to Crispy, Associate Producer at Playside Studios. So join us as we explore his journey. Of course, Dev Diary is funded by an amazing group of people at patreon.com slash devdiarypodcast. They help grow the show, make it bigger, make it more successful, and they've got early access to this episode. Consider checking it out yourself, and if you can't do that, perhaps consider throwing the show a five-star review or equivalent on your podcast service of choice. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. So today I'm joined by Crispy. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks, Paul. It's it's great to have you on board. Um, funnily enough, somehow this is the first actual episode from 2024 I'm recording. In fact, maybe like the first one in about three months. I had this wonderful backlog, as all the viewers, sorry, listeners will know, this wonderful backlog from PAX. But uh, it's nice to be actually doing the show and putting it out in somewhat timely a fashion again. And it's great to have you yes, on board. Well, yeah, I'm honoured to be the first of 2024. <laughs> yeah. I promise the cobwebs aren't there outside of some technical hiccups we had at the beginning. I promise the cobwebs aren't there and they won't mess up the show. Um, how has 2024 been for you so far? I know it's very early days, but um, yeah. I guess the, the conclusion of 2023, the start of 2024, there's a lot going on in, in the game dev world, lots of big topics of discussion um, at the moment, but also all things Playside. How, how's it all traveling? Yeah, I think overall um, Playside's doing quite well and you know, my 2024 has been... Pretty solid, very busy getting into it. Uh, unfortunately, can't talk specifics about my current project um, under pretty strict NDA there, but it has been very busy. Uh, but I think it's been good. The two weeks off were great to reset and now hitting the ground running straight back into it. So wouldn't have it any other way. I just see NDAs as a challenge and we'll see what we can pry out of you as the show goes on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, this is Dev Diary, series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. Now, Chris, before we get into the the current day works and the things that we can, and, and I guess the, ignoring the things that we can't talk about, rewinding to a time well before all of that and just purely that consumption of video games, do you recall what the first game was that you played or what some of the first games were that you ever played growing up? Yeah, so interestingly, I think as a kid, I was, I guess, like, not deprived. Maybe deprived is the wrong word, but, you know, I didn't really <laughs> actually play. I had a lot of games myself. But you know, I had friends, cousins that had games, and I would just see them playing on their DSs and their PlayStations, and be like, "Oh man, you know, I, I go over to their house to play." Um, but the, you know, I didn't actually own any consoles. I think the very first console that my family got was a PS One, and that was quickly upgraded to a PS Two when that came out. So yeah, I think I'm trying to remember the early games that I played. Pokemon was a big one. Yep. My first Pokemon game was actually a Diamond and Pearl because <laughs> I didn't have a oh, Game Boy. Yeah. So, yeah, jumped straight to the DS era of uh, Pokemon. Um, and just stuff on the PlayStation had a lot of fun playing, which was Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank, Spyro. I think those PlayStation classics. Crash Bandicoot is another one. Absolutely. Uh, There's some amazing platformers in that period. And yeah, Pokemon, I guess, regardless of what generation, is a. Uh, pretty regular i guess for anyone who's kind of born post well maybe even my vintage really about 80 about 89 onwards because then the first games came out for 
the likes of myself, even when I was about four or five, for pretty much anyone born from kind of my point onwards, a Pokemon game has kind of been a feature and a staple of almost any kind of anyone's childhood. So it's it's a good thing Nintendo's got no, uh, but I guess they've got a little bit to contend with with Pell World right now as we're as we're starting to learn. Yeah, <laughs> um, how did your taste kind of evolve from there as you, I guess, got greater exposure to video games? With you know, I know you mentioned obviously there weren't many in the house, um, mm. so it was a bit of a slower start. But I guess as more opportunities emerged, did you find yourself gravitating towards any particular games or genres or platforms in particular? Um, I think the biggest platform as a kid growing up for me was the Nintendo Wii. Actually, you know, yep. no surprise, biggest console I think ever, and maybe still is. Um, but I think like that one, I think was very notable for me because um, it had like a very strong effect on the family and the family dynamic. Yep. Uh, a lot of games that I played with my siblings, a brother and a sister, we played a lot of multiplayer games together, like Smash Bros, uh, you know, Super Mario, um, and even some like smaller ones like Spectrobes Origins. Yeah. Anyone <laughs> remembers that one? Um, uh, and you know, with the classics like Wii Sports, Wii Fit. Um, and it, that also that kind of brought um, my parents into it as well. Because my my mom got really into Wii Fit and Animal Crossing as well. We played that um, on the Wii. I think she was the only person to actually uh, pay off all the debt. <laughs> none of the none of the kids got there. But she was doing um, Animal Crossing way before it was cool with everyone. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think for her it was interesting because she didn't really have video games growing up. So it was kind of interesting seeing that that was the one that she kind of. Um, Latched onto, I guess, because I guess you know something about the gameplay loop. You know, it's, it's very appealing to her. I think my personal tastes, kind of, I've always been, I guess, a variety kind of gamer. I've always yep. really tried a lot, lots of different genres: puzzle games, visual novels. Um, you know, had a phase going through that. Had a strategy game phase. Played a lot of XCOM and XCOM likes. Uh, big MOBA phase that lasted a couple of years. League of Legends was my was my poison. That's it. <laughs> yeah, MOBA. that's that's a big well to slip down. <laughs> yeah for sure and um yeah i think like looking back I, it's like thinking about the games that i played yeah it was truly a bit of everything like i really just wanted to be like oh yeah that looks cool give it a try and you know even if like oh i've never played a game like this before let's give it a try so very hard to pinpoint like what any of my particular favorites are yeah i mean uh, it's i guess that exposure is always good for people when i was when i was growing up i was always kind of platformers and jrpgs that was kind of what was presented to me um, and so that's what I played. But one of the best things for me was when I, you know, I started getting to kind of late teens and had an income and would go off. And I mean, that was about the time the PS3 came out. And I got my PS3 and I, you know, popped in Uncharted. I popped in Resistance. I'm like, oh, shooters, okay. Like, I don't mind these. I kind of judged them from afar when I wasn't actually playing them. But by actually getting on the sticks um, and trying these things out it kind of changed something and I started becoming a little bit more open to that genre, but also, okay, let's go check out strategy games. Let's go check out this because I had the, the means and ability to do so and started to realize that, yeah, I've just been sitting in a very enjoyable, but a bubble for a good chunk of my life. You know, very happy with my Final Fantasies, my Zeldas, my Marios, but it took a while. And yeah, I guess you're, it sounds like you're, I guess the circumstance is slightly different, but describing a very similar thing. And these phases have kind of emerged where you've been able to dabble in stuff and, and really broaden your horizons. It's it's awesome. These days, what do you see? What do you find yourself playing when oh, you get an opportunity I mean, to do so? <laughs> yeah, currently, um, as far as video games go, um, so Baldur's Gate is a big one. Still, still got a game I'm playing with some friends. 
still yep. working through that. Um, fallen off League of Legends lately. You kind of go through phases. Uh, oh, Deep Rock Galactic, actually. Huge favorite. Good game. Um, yeah, it's just really great. Drop the end, drop out. Super. It's nice and casual. Uh, yeah, just a ton of fun. Great game. Um, and then I, I always pick up, like, you know, a new indie comes out. And I think, oh, that's cool. Like, I'll give that a play. Um, yeah, but I think for me, actually, I've been playing a lot more physical, like, board games and card games. I think that's where I've actually been spending a lot more of my time uh, as of late. Um, um, so that's Magic the Gathering and other board games. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm, I'm not the greatest student of tabletop myself, <laughs> but um, we've got one of our particular editors at Player 2, Stephen, is a giant advocate for it, and we've kind of uh, let our guard down, and all of a sudden there's been a whole bunch of tabletop content starting to pop up on the website lately. But in that, I've started to notice you know, there's some pretty cool, unique original ideas obviously magic is a staple and it's it's you know known by millions but there's some really inventive ideas coming through that space i'm sure it's always been the case but i'm only now starting to kind of cotton on to that and it's it's been kind of fascinating i won't ever admit it to him I'm, i'll cross my fingers and hope he's not listening to this episode so i don't have to concede anything <laughs> in front of him but i'm starting to feel a little itch to just explore the market a little bit so i'm glad you're glad you're enjoying there is some fascinating stuff out there was there a a game a game for you or a combination of games at all that perhaps inspired the passion to pursue the industry? I know as we kind of start to creep into your career side of things and even the studies beforehand, it wasn't always the destination. I know you went and did a Bachelor, a bachelor of Economics at, at the Uni of Melbourne um, yeah. for a while there. So maybe games wasn't always the initial goal, but it became that. I guess for you, when did that become a realisation and were there any games that were pivotal in you coming to that conclusion so i think the interesting thing for me is that i actually never considered games as a career until like the year before i started my study in games um up until that point i i guess i just kind of heard that oh you know like games it's not a, an industry in australia it's not really a thing here and i just kind of internalized that almost as a mantra i was like oh, okay well there's no point even looking into it, I might yeah. as well uh, look at other career paths. Um, and then, you know, in high school, I went to a decently prestigious high school. So there was a kind of expectation afterwards that you would go to one of the better unis in Melbourne and study something like uh, accounting or commerce or medicine or law, that kind of stuff. So I kind of just fell into that. Um, you know, like, oh, it's almost going through the motions. It's like, yeah. okay, get a decent ATAR, go to a good uni study the thing that you think will make you the most employable and i only lasted half a year <laughs> before i uh before i dropped out uh, of my course had you realized at that point that games were the thing or it was just a case of i just can't be in this course like this is just clearly not for me uh it was more the latter because i had found you know like i i wanted to get into uh i didn't know what i guess really what i wanted to do i had some ideas like oh commerce you know, as a thing, uh, I was thinking of like, oh, can I use that to get into like HR or something like that? Because I, I, yeah. I find I'm a big people person, love talking to people. And at the time, my impression of HR was like, oh, well, they're the people person of a company, right? <laughs> you know, Typically. And, and yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's definitely not 100 percent of what they what they do. But um, but I found like when I was trying to network mm -hmm. at events, you know, while I was studying commerce, I absolutely hated the vibe. It was very social climbing. It was very you know. Uh, rat race it was like if i don't want to talk to you unless you can advance my career you know and 
you know, I'm sure you've seen like LinkedIn speak, you know, it's like a lot of that kind of synergy and oh, like, you know, we, we leverage to, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, all these, all this stuff. And I, I got such a terrible vibe from that. And I, you know, I guess it bled into my passion for the studies because I, again, because I was kind of just going through the motions. I didn't really care about what I was studying. Um, and in a move, I guess, very, uh, you know, breaking the stereotype for my parents and coming from an Asian background, but my parents were the ones who actually suggested like, Hey, you've always loved games, you know, um, why don't you look into game development as a career? And <laughs> that was the, the spark for me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, very, very lucky that my parents, the way they are very fortunate. And I described a lot of my success to them being so supportive of me and super, so understanding. Um, but yeah, after they told me, like basically just said like, Hey, you don't look like you're having fun. Why don't you look at game development? That's when I did my research, looked into all the local unis, uh, and then started going to networking events and joining game communities. Um, uh, and I guess the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, so you found yourself with the AIE at that point, completed your uh, diploma of screen and media and game design. And mm. as you say, kind of the rest is history at that particular point. Um, mm. Of course, you know, people have to make ends meet along the way. And uh, you spent some time at Macca's, I believe. How, <laughs> how, how, was, how was the crew trainer the crew trainer role and everything there? As you've referenced LinkedIn, of course, it's a very valuable reference for me as well when I'm, when I'm compiling oh, notes for the show. But um, <laughs> I guess, I mean, there's plenty and you spoke about communication those sort of things and obviously in those crew training roles and those sort of things it's that's a huge part of the job um you feel like that's even helped a little bit in terms of the way you've then carried yourself in a totally different industry now of course but um <laughs> feel like there's yeah. anything you've been able to draw from those experiences over the years that have helped um yeah i don't know i think like everyone yeah i, I guess like when i turned 16 i couldn't wait to get a job it's like yeah i want to get money i get a job uh, and also it was I guess seen as the thing to do uh, of me um and yeah definitely like, i spent six years at Macca's, so sizable amount of time there um and well I, I think like general like teamwork like being able to work with the team also being able to work with like some people you don't like necessarily <laughs> or like you know just all like some managers who can be overbearing you, you just learn a lot of people skills and you know doing any sort of retail hospital so i'm very Big proponent of the idea that everyone should do a stint in retail and hospital. I think it'd build character and you'd learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, I realized I should just stress for any of our international listeners, Maccas being McDonald's, just just <laughs> in case, because I know that that Maccas statement is a very, very Austra uniquely Australian sort of uh, yeah. way to refer Dude, to it. I, I totally forgot <laughs> as well. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, uh... it's more on me. I've got to recognize as host. <laughs> um, and so I guess you got in the course and there's lots of, and I hear it all the time from people who've been through various game development courses about, you spoke about kind of the networking components and being interactive. I guess, was that difference in terms of what the social processes were like in the, the commerce and the HR side of things versus the way people kind of interact and work together in, in game dev, very, di very different. I uh, assume you noticed that immediately. Yeah, it's absolutely. It was night and day. I think like, the biggest thing was that everyone was super supportive of each other, you know, in general, in, you know, game dev networking. And, you know, of course, there's occasional bad apples of people who are kind of similar to, you know, what I was talking about before, like, oh, yeah. I'll let me talk to you if it will benefit me in some way. But by and large, like, I, I started going to, like, the, the monthly meetups that the, the IGDA Foundation oh, yeah. was running. Um, the first global game jam I did, everyone there was, like, super welcoming and super supportive. Um, 
you know, I told them basically like, hey, I've never done this before. It's my first game jam. Like, you know, I'd love to help how I can. You know, like I'm here to I'm here to learn and absorb. And everyone was just so welcoming. I think it was a big thing is that it kind of felt like you were you, you were joining a community. It didn't feel like I'm just here to you know get people's LinkedIn's and add them and, <laughs> and grow a network. It felt like oh man, I've joined this super cool creative community of people who've got a, who've got you know similar passions, like-minded individuals. Um, yeah, absolutely night and day, and a huge part of what I love about games is the people in it, and you know the local Melbourne scene is just so fantastic. Well, I mean, you know, games, a lot of this stuff, it all kind of fits under the humanities, the arts, those sorts of things, and the the coolest part of these things is the human aspect, and yeah, clearly something that was lacking through the through the more business corporate sort of lens that you were looking at things before but it's one of the i mean even as someone who you know doesn't actively you know make video games who knows one day maybe an opportunity will come up um but just interacting with people through this show and for for media responsibilities over the years it's just so obvious that there's just this wonderful culture within anyone who kind of makes games and you're right i'm sure there's there's a you know there's always going to be a couple bad apples um, or people, not even necessarily bad apples, but people who aren't necessarily there for quite the same reasons as everyone else. Um, but everything has just been overwhelmingly positive, overwhelmingly supportive, overwhelmingly looking for opportunities to help elevate others and bet. Like the whole rising tide lifts all boats mantra, really. It's It's been this wonderful thing, and I'm glad that you got to experience that so immediately after actually jumping into the course in the first place. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer in that as well. Like I said, rising tide lifts all boats, and we're all in this together, and we should all be supporting each other. Especially, um, you know, Australia, the Australian yeah. industry in particular. If we, you know, want any chance of, I guess, competing or you know, being on the same level as the you know overseas, like Canada, America, UK, etc., then we need to all have each other's backs. Absolutely, and and I guess you know, getting slightly topical, but even like in the current climate. Um of game development which has you know been a pretty bit of a sorry one in the last 12 months with the number of jobs lost and those sort of things if you know, i think if we can kind of keep that working together you know rising tides sort of thing hopefully those people who have unfortunately lost jobs will find new ones and you know will build or build new studios and we'll continue to see this this rise almost maybe a rise from the ashes in the case of in the case of some people's current circumstances hopefully they all find their way out of it nice and soon and and things are looking shiny against uh, in the very near future yeah absolutely within the course itself obviously that provides opportunities to you mentioned the networking part to network with established studios and get some experiences that are not just theoretical what what did those look like for you did you get many of those opportunities did you get to work with any of the local studios along the way um yeah so i so as you mentioned i studied at aie and i guess one of the one of the programs that they had um, for me, it was that they had a bit of like a QA placement that we did with the locals um, studio, um, and that was my first, I guess, like real taste of what it would be, you know, what it's like working you know, in a studio, you know, like I said, the practical. Um, and it was with uh, Samurai Punk, which unfortunately now have um, cut down. But yeah, they at the time, you know, Samurai Punk is you know an indie staple of the Melbourne scene, uh, been around for a while, and yeah, I did a QA like a week of QA with them. Uh, um, and yeah, it was just so, such a great experience. Um, just really big shout out to like the whole Samurai Punk team. Um, and again, I found a Nicholas McDonald and, and Winston and Tang. Winston, yeah. yeah, they both super welcoming. And yeah, I made some lifelong friends, I think, <laughs> just from that week um, of doing care with them. Now, I did see on, 
I don't know where I was looking now, whether it was Moby Games or LinkedIn, did see a reference to Killbug along the way. Was that part of what you were doing some <laughs> oh, QA no, on? No, or? Yeah, Killbug was definitely after, at the time when I was with, when I did this placement, Cyberpunk screen sheet was like the thing that they that were That was still a big thing at the time? Yeah, yeah. So Killbug, I, I just helped test. I think like, I oh, okay. yeah, helped test um, Nick's games. <laughs> I'm just always like, yeah, I always love to try out whatever uh, new project, a new idea that Nick, Nick is... Uh, working on so that's yeah, cool that's... and clarifies that one because yeah I, I had it kind of noted to to ask about that one i did see yeah i think it was maybe special thanks or something like that but mm-hmm. um it's always fascinating to see how kind of people especially in our local scene how that cross-pollination occurs so how did the first formal opportunity being digital load emerge yeah so one thing that i guess i've always talked about um i guess when i talk to grads or, or anyone like asking for advice uh is the importance of networking um, and I think that the, that is kind of, because, you know, that's where I've got a lot of my, my, um, opportunities have arisen from networking. So that opportunity at digital load, actually one of my friends, you know, one of my closest friends, we, we kind of got into the industry together at the same time. Uh, uh, Tim, he and had gotten a job there and was working as a programmer and they, you know, mentioned that they were looking for a designer short term just to. Uh, help them kind of make get a build sorted for um I think it was E3 at the time back when E3 was still a thing um, and before yeah. before COVID killed it and then yeah then, oh, yeah. Yeah, then Jeff Keighley <laughs> killed it yeah definitely before uh, pre-COVID so you know he mentioned me and then you know got in touch with the uh the studio you know heads and I think they actually had coming up like a playtest night where the friends and family of the uh, developers could come along and play test uh, the oh, game cool. Spire One. Yeah, at the time it was Spire One VR operative. Um, so I went along and I got the chance to meet them, and then I played the game. I gave them a bunch of feedback from, you know, my analysis, I guess, of the game. It's like what I thought and what I thought could be improved. Uh, and then from there, uh, you know, I, cut, I guess like I think it was like maybe like a week later, you know, got a phone call. They're like, hey, you know, we'd like to offer you just a short term contract um, thing. So you know, got that opportunity because of networking. And um, I guess, in terms of formal formal jobs, you know, getting getting to work with them at that point on a VR game, I, I presume, yeah, you continued to work mm. with Aspire from that point onwards. Um, it's kind of jumping in the deep end, really, because obviously, you know, it's it's tip of the spear technology, especially going back in you know to 2019, that window there where, I mean, we'd seen VR for a few years, but there was still this giant push forward, um, mm. and a lot of advancements still occurring, and I guess there still are even now with the MetaQuest 3 fairly recently having come out. But um, what was it like kind of jumping into VR at that point? Because I'm sure the studies didn't necessarily focus on that particular aspect of game design too much in your time. Yeah, it was, man, it was interesting for sure. Um, I I think like a lot of the design that I was doing there uh, was, it was mostly encounter design. So it was like they had levels uh, and I was like kind of, making like you know in a, a stealth game basically like yeah. these little mini encounters of what are the patrols look like um and what are the options that the player has to them so to be honest i think like for this particular game there wasn't too many vr specific considerations that i had to make like that was kind of already handled by you know the accessibility fronts you know they had really thought about it put a lot of effort into you know their kind of ways to handle motion sickness and all that stuff yeah so for me it was just almost pure design so i guess you know from my perspective it was it wasn't really like 
oh, this is like a weird new design thing, I guess. So I guess in some ways it's fortunate. I was able to kind of just get into it, stuck into it and make stuff. But yeah. At the same time, obviously, yeah, it's, you get to see this kind of wonderful world of VR and I'm sure there's a lot you could learn from it um, in terms of the way you kind of apply, apply your trade down the line. Go, going from digital load to, I guess, closer to pres- present day in working with Playside, how did that opportunity first emerge? And of course, after coming from a contract to something a bit a bit more consistent, solid and guaranteed with Playside, what was that yeah. like as well, especially given it was you know 2020 at this point, so there's a lot of volatility in the, the whole world climate at that particular stage thanks to COVID. Locking down yeah. a job... Um, <laughs> But also, you know, a fantastic Australian studio as well. Not to dismiss Digital Load at all. They're amazing as well. But another another fantastic local studio. What was that like for you? Yeah. So, yeah, the interesting thing about Digital Load was I had that contract while I was still studying. So, and that kind of finished up before I finished my studies. So, it was like yeah. study, do the contract, and, you know, back to studies. That's kind of interesting. Um, but I guess moving on to Playside, um, again, like I said earlier, networking was played a huge part in, I guess, even getting that opportunity. Um, you know, the 2019, I'd met the, you know, the art director at Playside. Um, and, you know, we, we just met at GCAP talking, you know, as you as you do at, at GCAP, which is a local game dev conference, <laughs> for anyone not aware. Um, yeah, and, you know, had positive experience there. Fast forward a year later, one of my close friends from uni that I met at uni, um, they got a job at uh, Playside. Um, as an artist, which is fantastic, super happy for them. Uh, and then fast forward even more, they'd been there for a couple months, uh, and they, you know, basically they said they're looking for an associate producer. Um, and my friend had recommended me, like, hey, like I know this guy, Crispy. We went to uni together. I think it'd be great. Uh, and uh, the the art director at the time, he was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Like, you know, let's let's have a chat. Let's. So we met at an IGDEM, one of those monthly meetups, uh, you know, talked about it and they said basically like, hey, send me a resume, we'll set up an interview, you can chat to our senior producer uh, and go from there. And, and yeah, went one from thing there. to another. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went from there. <laughs> um, and so I guess as you were going through this process in terms of, because different studios will have different processes to even job you know, applications and interviews and those sort of things in terms of how much they're willing to dis- disclose about what the project is versus keeping a little bit more top level and skills and then they'll, you know, I guess, make a determination as to whether you're right for the project. Did you know, I guess, what it was that you were potentially going to be working on if you were successful at that point? Um, no, I mean, I, I wasn't told specifics, but, I, you know, obviously as you do when you, for any company, you do research, look into what they've done. So, you know, Playside at the time was still primarily a mobile game developer. So I downloaded a bunch of their games, played them all. Um, so, and, you know, even going through the interview process, um, I don't recall being specific about, yeah, we got this project that you'll be on. It was more of a general, I think at the time they were just like, we just need more kind of producers yeah. in, in general to, to help with all the projects that they're taking on. Because Playside's always had a big appetite for, you know, we want more projects, we want bigger projects. Um, and yeah, so yeah, not no specifics, I guess, but from memory. No, but to, yeah, to your exact point, uh, the studio is yeah quite well known for I guess taking on a lot of different a lot of jobs and a very different scales, scopes, 
types i think you know I, I think about obviously projects like say the age of darkness final stand but i then i think of um and i you know i made sure to get myself a list there but i think of it like there's legally blonde on the apple side there's a whole there's a whole range of different sorts of games that are appealing to vastly different audiences mm-hmm. as you say kind of you know typically been in the the mobile space age of darkness proof of otherwise what it's it's really quite incredible what the what the team has been working on over many years now and obviously there's there's some things that you can't talk about through the course of this chat today and totally respect and understand that um in terms of i guess what you've worked on that you are able to talk about i'll kind of i guess i'll throw things a little bit more over to you here so you can guide because you know what you can and can't say are we able to talk about some of those experiences a little bit i know i know age of darkness has been part of that um yeah but it, um, I guess, what, what have the experiences been like so far? Yeah, I think it's been overall just super positive. I think um, learning a lot from Playside uh, as, as a producer because I didn't really get like any sort of formal training in production. And I think a lot of producers probably don't <laughs> actually, you know, do a project management course. You know, when I was at yeah. AIE, I was studying game design. Uh, it was game design and production, but it was primarily about game design. And I just kind of fell into the production stuff because someone had you know i've always liked organizing things and uh kind of leading a team and uh i just kind of i guess fell into that at uh while i was at aie um and i learned a lot on the job so it's, you know that's something i'm always grateful for playside is that he showed me the ropes and showed me uh a lot about like a, here's how a game studio runs um as far as like projects yeah it's this is tricky what i'm allowed to talk about but yeah please that's why yeah, i thought i'd throw it over that. you so we can keep it so we can keep it safe <laughs> yeah like early days i did you know it was mobile still um like you mentioned age of darkness that's a, i think a flagship pc title um i didn't actually have a hand in age of darkness um yeah it was, uh, just so many teams at play side so just wasn't one of the projects that you know i was on but it was super cool seeing that development um and in some ways it was like you know Playside taking the next the, the big step here and like not just doing mobile and branching out into what other platforms um and they've always uh, also been a big component of like vr and mr as well and Playside's always done um a lot of those kind of projects too well saints and sinners was going uh, coming out of the studio as well in part wasn't it um perhaps kind of don't yeah i don't remember recall the time when i when i joined but they definitely had a couple of vr and ar projects in their uh in their catalog um from bef- you know from even before when i joined for sure and then, of course, there's things like, you know, um, Dumb Ways to Die and all those sorts of things they've been well, well, well known for, for for a long time. Um, and I guess in that production role, and there are so many different projects kind of moving on around you, independent of whatever you're working on at the time. What does that, I guess, it, it can get pretty hectic at points, right? <laughs> especially if games are kind of hitting key milestones at similar-ish periods and they, they might be different milestones, they might be different po- points of development, but of course, you know, milestones might overlap from time to time. What is that like when, for, I guess for you, trying to focus specifically on your thing, but there's other others that are kind of hitting key milestones at similar points to you and you've got to try and carve out the time of key personnel to get what you need done? Yeah, it can, yeah, it was a very interesting kind of experience, kind of, going through that um yeah I, I guess i would say that that's the big thing is like you focus on your team and you know like I, I think at the end of the day the producer is like they're responsible for their team and you know at the end you do what's best for your team really it's it's almost like you you go to bat for them you go to fight for them and you shield them from you know from 
uh, anything really, yeah. and so that the team can just focus on doing development, you know, the thing that they're all best at. Um, so definitely, you know, there's, you always have those discussions, like you said, key resources, key personnel. Um, those discussions kind of just happen, and, you know, business prioritizes what I guess needs the most resources at the time. Um, and you go from there. But I think what's really great is that everyone, I think everyone always goes into it with a very like, you know, it's not about blaming. It's not about, and you've got to keep this mindset, I think in, in production is you always got to be moving forward and, uh, being solutions thinking like, okay, we can think about how we got here later in a postmortem or a, yeah. or in a retrospective, right? Right now, what's the problem? How do we fix it? And I think that that attitude really is what carries that kind of it helps you when you get to those impasses um to you know, like hey we we all want the same thing we all want what's best for everyone like what's so we just focus on the outcomes that we need and not trying to blame anyone or um or just complain and whine yeah i referenced the covid component before now <laughs> taking on kind of the first big full-time thing production awesome opportunity backdrop of a pandemic and you're trying to connect people and keep, you know in this in this very key role but you're obviously inexperienced at this particular point in time what was that like for you personally as you're trying to i guess there's this gigantic obstacle that's been kind of tossed in front of you you can't get around you can't avoid it you just <laughs> got to somehow embrace it what was that like for you as you tried to adjust adjust to that but also learn on the job yeah oh man it, it was tough i think in some ways um i i actually got hired straight into COVID. actually i think it was one of the first um hires fully when we when they went fully remote after the lockdown pandemic really started um i i recall that i was supposed to do an in-person interview and then the day before it got rescheduled oh you know they they said like hey we should probably not do this in person anymore so that's kind of how on the cusp my uh you know, me, me joining the company was yeah right. Uh, lockdown. I, I think like that was always a concern because I'm I'm like I said I think earlier I'm a very big people person. I love talking to people and big part of that is being in person with them. You know, I've always been bad at, at online messaging and texting people. And, but you know, when I'm with someone in person, it's a whole you know it's a different story. And in some ways, because I hadn't had the experience of working in an office, it was almost like I didn't have anything to compare it to. Um, yeah. you know, the experience working at Digital Load was very different. And, and the, the the role I was doing at Digital Load was much more like, I'm just focused on my own thing. Like, I don't really have to talk to other people. I'm just designing. Whereas in production, obviously, it's a lot more it's about the people. So, so much, yeah, so much about the communication <laughs> and, and kind yeah. of connect, connecting people. So, yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely tough. It was like thinking of like, how do we kind of stay connected through the pandemic and some ideas like just staying in a call just throughout the day, like just like you know like a discord call yeah. um, or a zoom call that you just have open and people are just in there and you know you can chat whenever it's, yeah it was um definitely tough and to be honest like i think a lot of us are suffering from like a bit of like pandemic fog and it's hard <laughs> to recall exact details um but i still you know i think like the the senior producer who was teaching me you know showing me the ropes at the time we were still able to like, get regular you know check-ins and we were still able to do it and i think i still got a lot out of that experience i think um place i handled that transition to full remote work super well um and it was just such a like a huge cathartic reunion when you know the lockdown ended and we all came to the studio 
and we're able to see these people that we've been working for like a year, you know working with for like a year or longer <laughs> and, and you um, know for so you good. almost meeting for the i mean face-to-face meeting for the first time mm. in, in some of these instances which is which is pretty wild to spend that much time working with all these people and never actually get to you know properly yeah. certainly in the way that as you kind of discussed is kind of where your great strength is to be able to formally yeah. formally meet someone so yeah absolutely it was um very funny because some people don't really like have the cameras on so it's like i don't even 100 percent know what you <laughs> what you even look like um and the and height was a huge like oh wow i had no idea you were this tall <laughs> like, <laughs> you know like in, in in a webcam it's just everyone is the same height you know you have no idea <laughs> yeah but it, that's all yeah. the great the great evener um the webcam <laughs> yeah. yeah hadn't really yeah hadn't given that as much thought as i probably could or should have but um <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess the, the the pandemic part of it really really challenging. But then obviously, obviously as you say, you got to return back to kind of face to face and and do things. I guess kind of the way you'd kind of expected to in the first place. Transitioning back in and outside of you know once there was the probably celebratory moments and getting acclimatized how tall some people were. Once all that was out of the way, being able to kind of apply that trade that the, that production craft that you've learned quite a lot about in this time, but in a totally different context, was it? easier at that point um yeah definitely um i think it was just yeah easier to like facilitate communication i think like um because i think it's a big part of production is facilitation right we, we just get things done we make things happen yeah um and you know we talk to the people who can make things happen we make sure that it gets done um so the just having like i think the biggest things for me was like one it, it's the creative atmosphere like being surrounded by all these people who you know are super creative, super good at their job, and you know just doing work it inspires you. Like, yeah, this is fucking great. Like, oh, sorry. No, 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 you're totally <laughs> fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no is, issues uh... there at all. <laughs> but yeah, this is great. Um, and love you know. And the other thing that was really great about it is just the the casual kind of connections that you can make and conversations that you can have. You know, the classic water cooler talk um yes it's it's a great way to meet new people as well because you know you think about remote work um if you're not actively working with someone you know if you're not on the same team you know getting that excuse or opportunity to talk to someone is like well when would that happen but back in the office always like people go to the kitchen to make a cup of coffee and be like oh hey you know we haven't met how's it going or um or just good ways to catch up with people that you just you know don't really talk to um and I guess the other thing with communication is just being able to like turn around and be like, Hey, can I get you a quick thoughts on something or yeah. you know, that ability? Cause it always feels like when you invite someone to a, to a meeting, it feels very formal, right? It feels yes. like, you know, I'm penciling this in, you know, schedule is, a... <laughs> whereas, you know, just, just grabbing someone at their desk feels, yeah, it just feels much more casual. It just feels seamless. So yeah, definitely. I think once, you know, I've gone back to the office work, you know, working in office, I was like, yeah, this is this is where I have to be, I think. Um, and I guess when it comes to the studio big picture, not even just inclusive of yourself, but everyone, um, I guess a pretty cool achievement late in the piece last year was the the best studio award at the AGDAs. Um, <laughs> an honour like that for for the team is, you know, I mean, it's no mean feat. Um, and voted upon by peers and all those sorts of, you know, really important factors in, in the award itself. What did that mean to you, but also the team more broadly, to, to win something like that oh yes yeah it's an interesting question because people can put out I, amazing games and of course they, they're worthy of being celebrated as well and and obviously the yeah. team puts out some amazing games but 
for people to kind of acknowledge it, like this is a really great place to work. Great people, you know, great dynamic, all that. Like that's a whole other, whole other thing that really I think should be celebrated more within, I guess, kind of the media and consumer facing side. Mm. Um, so what? Yeah, what does it? I guess what did it mean to you and the team when when an accolade like that came your way? Uh, I guess for me, it one thing I guess that I really love about Blaze Side is that you know that they are kind of really dedicated to trying to raise overall like the the uh, raise the bar I guess in the local industry um, and part of the ways they do that is a lot of outreach um, a lot of you know going to high schools and you know, we have people who go there and just talk about experiences um, particularly for you know, uh, women and gender diverse individuals you know because that's I you know traditionally maybe like that's not a career that is considered you know yeah, that, that, that consider. So we have a very strong culture of, of that. And we have other um, initiatives, like we keep in contact with the local universities, you know, so we can you know, have people come over and do talks. So I think for me, like Playside, as well, like, you know, the, the biggest studios in Australia, I believe, the, I believe the biggest, like we had 300 plus people. Um, we hit that milestone, like towards the end of last year. Um, so I think it's also just a recognition of like, hey, there's a there's a powerhouse, I guess, going there. There's a big force in in the uh, Australian scene, and it was celebrating that. And it was just really, it just felt really cool to be a part of that, to be you know a part of I guess something bigger than myself, <laughs> and and seeing that recognized. Yeah, completely understand. And it is uh, to to your point um, in terms of just I guess the way the studio is growing. I think Playside for a little while has been one of those studios is maybe. I mean, been doing a great job, but it's been kind of flying under the radar a little bit in favor, you know, because maybe some big, you know, I don't know, we have an Untitled Goose game that comes out and people go, oh, Australia, I think of that. Or Team Cherry puts out Hollow Knight and people go, oh, I think of that. But like, they, they miss that, you know, the, the quantity of output, but the high quality of the output. And then I think when we start to get these these sort of acknowledgements pop up along the way, I think it then really, I think, highlights people who maybe hadn't paid enough attention before maybe the game maybe you know they weren't too much of a mobile game person and so kind of didn't think too much about playside it's you now the that award comes up they notice oh now there's the, there's this game and there's this game. hang on there, there's actually quite a lot here um that, that's going on that's really amazing quite fascinating and i think the the spotlight um has been shone upon the team and hopefully lots of people notice that and i actually i guess speaking as a teacher i'm thrilled to hear about the 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 school visits and those sort of things um been thinking of ways that i can try and get those sort of things going at my school we might have to chat <laughs> we might have to chat <laughs> off off recording later um but it's it's such an awesome thing that the team's achieved and i'm i'm thrilled for you and everyone involved yeah absolutely thank you as we start to wind things down, I must first take a moment to throw to myself a pre-recorded thing here to shout out the patrons of the show. And so it's at this point in the show that I want to make sure that I shout out all of the amazing patrons at the show shout out tier on patreon.com slash devdiarypodcast. Those people are supporting at the top tier in the show, gets them this shout out, and I'm eternally thankful because you are helping fuel the fire that is Dev Diary now and into the future. And so... With this newest episode, I want to shout out Scott Makes Games and my mum, Julie James. Thank you very much for supporting this show, and let's get back to it. All right, as we start to wind things down, is there anyone out there who really inspires you and the way you go about your work? 
whether that's someone that you've worked with that you look at from afar yeah um man i think i mean the the cheesy answer is that i'm I'm inspired by everyone that i work with every day (laughs) look it is the cheesy answer but sometimes it's the correct answer too so (laughs) Yeah, I, I think I can think of a you know a couple of people in particular. Um, I think I mentioned earlier Tim. Uh, yeah. Tim Kadaris is one of my closest friends. We got into game development kind of together at the same time. We went to the same uh, networking events together, and we've always had a you know we've always celebrated each other's successes. You know, without without question, without fail. And he's just got such a great work ethic, and he's such great ambitions. And you know he he inspires me a lot, um, yeah. And in in that way, like just his passion for for games and game development, um, it, yeah, I love that. Um, and I think the other person that really comes to mind is uh, is Nick Panthers. So I think you've had actually as a as a guest yeah, on Nick's, there. Nick's a wonderful person, and um, <laughs> I think it, yeah helped kind of link us up in the first place for the for the sake of this episode. So all credit to Nick, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, Nick's Nick's incredible. Yeah, I think like Nick has. I man, I I still remember the the first time I met Nick. It was actually at Global Game Jam. We were in the same room, um, and you know, and at, at first it was like you know nothing special. But then the more we got talking, they they're one of my closest friends as well. And just seeing they again, it's that having that ambition, that drive. They've got such a strong, clear idea of what they want out of games and and what they their relationship with game development and the industry. Uh, and I just love seeing them succeed, and, and as they're a producer as well, and you know, I get a lot of uh, I've received a lot of you know guidance from them. Question, you know, they've helped me with some things. I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure, you know, how to do this. So, uh, yeah, I'd say Nick and Tim, I guess, be my two biggest inspirations. That's fantastic, and yeah, great people. So, uh, what have been some of the most? And I guess maybe even the circumstance of COVID probably helped with all of this too. What have been some of the most valuable lessons or experiences you've kind of picked up along the way? Things that kind of help you even today. I'm sure some of that's probably transferable from the COVID period, but um, <laughs> what, what's what's yeah. kind of stuck with you that kind of guides you even today? Um, I guess it, like game development specifically, or just broadly speaking. I mean, maybe the broadly speaking side of it still <laughs> still hits the game development scene as well. So whatever works best for you, I think. Um, I, I would say like the biggest, uh, the biggest lesson I've learned, I, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times, is just the importance of networking. Um, and, you know, not just, I'm not just talking about like meeting new people and exchanging business cards, but just making sure that you have such a strong character that people yeah. are aware of and know you for, and that you, you know, are true to that and you're consistent and yeah, I guess it's like a personal brand, but that, to me that sounds kind of marketing and corporate But you know, it's it's just having that presence and personality, and you know that um, I find, like I've uh, said, all you know, basically all my opportunities that I've gotten have come from networking, um, and that's been for me going to these meetups, but also like volunteering. I volunteered for people's packs boots, volunteered uh, at. You know, GCAP and other conferences like uh, Free Play, um, just because I love the local scene. I love the industry. I love the local scene. I want to give back, and volunteering was a great way to do that. And as a student who didn't really have much to my name, you know, no one, no one knew who who, <laughs> who I was when I was a student. It was you know a great way to just meet a whole bunch of people. Um, so I think that's my biggest takeaway: is the importance of networking, the importance of making sure that you're out there and that you're a presence. 
Yeah, I mean, I heard this. I heard this great phrase only only a couple of days ago. It was um, be interested, not interesting. Now, I think you know if you're looking to kind of get opportunities, you probably want to be somewhat interesting to potential employees as well. But it's really about you know. To, to your whole networking point, it's about stopping and listening to what people are saying, take it on board, be genuinely interested in what is going on because that interest that you show is noticed um, by so many and that it leaves an amazing impression. It does create opportunities, but at the same time, it's also for personal growth and personal learning and those sort of things that really, really helps that deep, deep listening kind of component um, yeah. that I think gets me, completely like, forgotten. Yeah, and it's about just making friends. It's... Yeah, the industry is full of super cool people. Yeah. <laughs> love to love to get to know them and you know hang out, and become that's, friends with them. And that's the cherry on top, really. <laughs> Some fun ones as we wrap things up. If you could be credited for any game, retroactively add your name into the credits. I was responsible for this. What game would you pick? Oh, man, it's hard to say. Is I think. Um, way back when we were talking about it, I, I can't really point to like a single formative game to me that was like, this was the thing that kind of shaped a lot of my identity or, or anything like that. Um, but I think, I guess what I would probably have to say is uh, League of Legends, I think. Just a, a game that, you know, is still massive today. Um, you know, it's grown from, you know, fairly humble origins being like, uh, based off a mod of another game, you know, based off, based off Dota, which was a mod of Warcraft, and then growing into its own thing and taking on its own identity. And, you know, like I said, I had a very big period of my time where I played a lot of it, and it was a way that I met new people and as a way that I connected with a lot of people. Um, and, you know, it's still a game that I'd love to work, to get the chance to work on um, today. So, hey, if I can put my name on it early. <laughs> yeah, would, why not? Claim Yeah. Converse. Yeah, <laughs> Conversely, if you could go back and replay any game, strike it from your memory and get to experience it all over again, what game would you love to have that experience with? Is it League of Legends again? But uh, it's the... <laughs> no, I think League of Legends is the kind of game that changes so much anyway that you almost if it you always stop feels playing fresh. for a year, <laughs> yeah, you stop playing for a year, it's almost a new game anyway. <laughs> um, but I mean, like the important thing about League was like the friendships and the connections. I think because it's a multiplayer game, so the yeah. actual game itself, I mean, could have been maybe anything <laughs> in some ways. That's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, back to your question, that is also a tough one. I'm, I'm also not a, I'm a serial uh, game not finisher. Like I will get, oh, okay. I, I, part of me, I guess, like liking to try a variety of experiences is sometimes I just don't actually finish them because I'm like, oh, a new, a new game's come out and I really want to check that out. Look at that new shiny thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes maybe I think I have ADHD, who knows. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I guess I could say a couple of things like just something like Skyrim was something I played a lot as a kid. I have very fun memories. Um, yeah, I never actually played Morrowinds or Oblivion um, or any of the earlier entries. It was kind of before my time. Yeah. Um, but just being just being able to, I guess, re-experience a world that vast could be interesting. Um, otherwise, oh, I'm just trying to think of games that had a huge impact. Something like Hi-Fi Rush even was one of my favorite games of the year. You know, surprise drop. Uh, and I, I just found myself as I was playing it, just getting more and more happy and you know excited playing it, and it'd be great to be, I guess, be able to relive that. Like, oh hey, this new game just dropped today. Why don't I give it a try? And just little did I know, I'd have one of the best gaming experiences of my 2023 in that weekend. 
yeah it's a it's a pretty cool game um <laughs> and i mean i fortunately at pax had the opportunity to chat to john johannes for the for the show and you could still you know i guess nine months or so removed from when the game had come out and you could just still feel that enthusiasm and energy that he had for that project it was it was something really something really yeah. incredible and it's it's a wonderful title and yeah i listened to that episode actually, oh, and, oh um, okay <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> yeah it was yeah it was, it was really interesting because i also went to the the gcap talk that um john did oh john would have been um, yeah yeah so he, he did a talk at gcap as well where he talks about the process of developing that super interesting um yeah just super interesting uh, experience yeah and a, obviously a fantastic selection whether it's skyrim whether it's hi-fi rush fantastic choices no matter which way you go well crispy thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far it's it's been wonderful to chat to you to learn about uh your various experiences so far to learn and highlight more of what's going on at playside thank you so much for coming aboard i think i speak on behalf of anyone who's listening today we're all kind of keen to learn about whatever these nda things are that are somewhere in the pipeline looking forward to uh, seeing what those are and, and learning of your involvement in those in the meantime though if people want to learn a little bit about you know, what just what you're up to and you know kind of see day-to-day sort of stuff where should people go um i guess uh my best socials would be my twitter and my linkedin um so my twitter is at crispy design uh this was back when i wanted to be a designer and i kind of have a change <laughs> haven't changed it since so lean into um, it yeah. lean right into it yeah so um crispy with a ch c-h-r-a-s-p-y uh design uh and then on linkedin yeah just crispy um as well i'm on linkedin as well um i respond to both check both so yeah always happy to chat with other devs always keen to meet more people well, as I said, thank you so much for coming on board the show today. It's it's fantastic to get to meet you and, and get to chat. And I'm hoping I'll see you around. Uh, we're both Melbourne locals, so who knows who knows what opportunities will emerge. But um, yeah, again, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Crispy Story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.